Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the rim. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. An in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Breaking news, breaking news, in case you've missed it. I'm Dave Mitchell, along with Mark Donahue. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. And just a few minutes ago, in case you missed it, Todd Frazier moved past Prince Fielder in the home run derby. And what an exhibition it was by those two players. I'm not a real big fan of the home run derby, but that was kind of exciting to watch down at Great American Ballpark. And now as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds, as we've reached the 86th All-Star break in Major League Baseball history, let's go down to Southern Ohio and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, Dave. <clears throat> and despite the fact our teams are in deep suck mode at the All-Star break. <laughs> uh, like a Hoover. Like a, a Kirby. Hoover. <laughs> uh, and not JJ. Uh, it's it's still baseball. It's still fun. And uh, all the fans who, like me, sometimes get emotional about their team losing, we do have to put it in this perspective and I know you uh, are particularly sensitive to that issue today. Yeah, really, uh, very much so, Mark. Um, I want to send out a personal note here tonight at the top of our show. Uh, a friend of my younger son's, Patrick, uh, Kevin Schaefer, lost his sister today, older sister, as she was out jogging uh, near Holmesville, Ohio. Uh, she was hit by a vehicle and killed uh, I'm not exactly sure how old she was or all the particulars, Mark, but she was around 43 years old with three kids and a grandchild, and it's very difficult for me because, you know, Kevin was a friend of my younger son, as I said, Patrick, and I, I uh, watched him grow up as a little kid playing Little League Baseball and, and basketball, had a chance to coach him, uh, loved him like a son, and... You know, it is not easy losing a sister, I know from personal experience, and losing it due to an accident such as this. Uh, my heart really goes out to the Schaefer and Wardell family. Uh, Tracy Wardell uh, was her name. I'm not sure of any of the funeral arrangements, but it really does put into perspective, Mark, uh, what goes on as far as baseball and sports are concerned. And tonight I just want to send out my heartfelt Condolences and prayers to the Schaefer and Wardell family, especially Kevin and his mother and father, Jim and Deb. So that being said, Mark, you know, it is the all-star break. It's the symbolic halfway point of the Major League Baseball season, although really we're about six or seven games into the second half. Jason Kipnis, the lone representative for the Cleveland Indians, Araldus Chapman and Todd Frazier are in there for the Reds. And, you know, Mark, I got to tell you, that was that was exciting. I I know you and I are both not proponents of the home run derby. We both don't like it. Wish it would go away. But in all honesty, you know, watching Prince Fielder get up thirteen to nothing on Todd Frazier and the hometown boy come up, and they've changed this thing around so much, Mark, that now you've only got four minutes 
no longer if you don't hit a home run is it an out. It's four minutes straight, and then you get some extra time depending upon how far you hit the ball. And Frazier stood right up there and hit 14 home runs in about four and a half minutes as he got some extra time and beat Prince Fielder. And, and to be honest with you, Mark, the way Fielder was going, I didn't think Frazier stood a chance, but he came back and excited the crowd and did it. And now he goes up against Donaldson in the second round. You know, I've heard some guys around the Reds organization. I was down in Cincinnati last week and actually went to their uh, the urban uh, – I think it's the Urban League, they call it, or Urban Park that the Cincinnati Reds support. And I was talking to some people there, and they were talking about Todd Frazier. And what people don't realize about Todd Frazier, number one, he's a good guy. But number two, this guy has as much natural power as anybody in baseball right now. And he is going to get more powerful. He's going to get stronger. Uh, His swing is wild sometimes. But he leads all of baseball in extra base hits, and this guy is super, super strong. And it, it's not impossible that he's going to hit, you know, mid-40s this year in home runs, and he could go to 50. But over the next two or three years, I think you're going to see this guy put up some ridiculous numbers, particularly if the Reds can protect him. And I wonder what would happen if they put Todd Frazier in the lineup ahead of Joey Votto or Joey Votto ahead of Todd Frazier because that would certainly give cover to either one of them. But, uh, you know, this Todd Frazier is, uh, his defense sometimes is a little scattered, but uh, he's a good player and the Reds would be foolish to trade him. We'll get into the, you know, the potential trades for the Reds, but I certainly hope that Todd Frazier is not on the selling list uh, of the Reds. Mark, you tell me if I'm off my rocker, but his swing reminds me of George Foster. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I do see similarities there. Uh, he, he's a free swinger, to say the least, but he's got a quick bat. He's quick to the ball, even though he's he's long and lanky. And he, he, when I first saw him come up, he really reminded me more of Dave Kingman. Uh, you know, he's, he's a tall guy. He's like 6'3", 6'3 mm-hmm. and a half. Got that long swing, but he has tightened that swing up, and he's quick to the ball. He's changed his stance, and I don't know who gave him that advice, but it certainly it, it allowed him to get his hips free and, and get his get his body moving, uh, and and he's actually he's he's more stable at the plate than he was. But once he unleashes, he's got a tremendous amount of bat speed, and that's what allows him to hit those home runs and. You give him a breaking ball over the plate, and he will lose it for you. Well, as we hit the All-Star break, the Reds' record is 39 wins against 47 losses. They are in fourth place in the National League Central. They're 16 games behind St. Louis and seven and a half games behind in the wild card standings. They've won four of their last ten. They went three and three last week. On the other side of the coin, the Cleveland Indians are 42 and 46. They are in fourth place, but theoretically, Mark, you could almost say that the Indians are in last place in the division because Chicago is at 41 and 45. So effectively, they're tied for last place. Both teams are 11 games behind Kansas City, and the Indians are five and a half games behind in the wild card. The Indians went five and five in their last 10 games, and the strange thing is, in their previous 10 games, they were 5-5, five and five, which is exactly what I said last week, Mark, 
this team is a 500 ball club, and, and I don't think you're going to see anything more out of the Indians unless they go out and make a major trade. And I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but Mark Shapiro told Marla Reidenauer of the Akron Beacon Journal over the weekend, don't expect the Indians to make a major trade. No, and I don't think, you know, I think sometimes unless you have contractual issues like the Reds do, the Reds have to make trades, not because they want to, because they have to. And the Indians don't have to. I don't see that they have the same kind of pressure because of the contracts they have in place. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that the Indians will not make trades. And my only question is, why in the hell haven't the Reds already made trades? <laughs> That's a good question. And, you know, you bring up the word pressure. The Cleveland Indians, and especially the front office with Shapiro and Chris Antonetti, have never seen pressure. They they don't know what pressure is, and they don't adhere to pressure. And it doesn't matter. They're always going to have this same lackadaisical attitude. There is no pressure as far as the Cleveland Indians are concerned in the front office. But nonetheless, Mark, before we get into the trades and what is going on with Shapiro, I want to talk a little bit about this whole, and I know we talk about it a lot, but this Pete Rose situation and what Barry Larkin had to say about it on ESPN this morning. Mark, it just seems to me that whenever Major League Baseball can pull Pete Rose out of mothballs, put him on a baseball field, and it doesn't matter if they sell one ticket or ten tickets, it doesn't matter if they can make money on Pete Rose, they'll do it and damn the band. <laughs> well, you know, Pete's in a position where he really can't complain about it, and that's unfortunate. And so many times the Major League Baseball – not, not so much the Reds. You know, the Reds organization, they're, they, they're a supporter of, uh, of Pete Rose. But Major League Baseball, it's such a contradiction and, and such uh, hypocritical aspects to this thing that I, I don't understand it. I don't know how they have the guts to do what they do with Pete Rose. But people let him get away with it. And, you know, what Pete should say is, you know, go suck an egg. Uh, but he can't. And I know that's what he'd like to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's trying to uh, make the impossible happen, but uh, it, it's not gonna, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I, I haven't changed my mind about that forever, but uh, it, it's unfortunate that the Reds or the MLB takes advantage of Pete. Well, it doesn't matter <clears throat> what Major League Baseball does. You know, one of the things that you and I discussed earlier in the year, because I thought Manfred would go ahead and say that he was going to lift at least the ban on the Hall of Fame for Pete around the All-Star break. And I know your major complaint was was that he wouldn't do that to the players. Mark, it really doesn't matter. When he hits the field tomorrow night as part of the Mount Rushmore of the Cincinnati Reds, he's going to get the biggest ovation of anybody out there. Oh, unquestionably. And um, I, I think that may be the reason that, you know, they allowed the Reds. I don't think Pete would be at the All-Star game if it was not, you know, in Cincinnati. Uh, but it's interesting, Major League Baseball, uh, with regard to the All-Star game, from what I could read uh, as recently as three or four hours ago, <coughs> the Cincinnati Reds are not going to make any money out of the All-Star game. All the money goes to Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. So they are certainly want to enhance the show, get as many people as they can to, to you know, cram into that stadium, because it, the money goes to them. Now, the Reds get indirect um, income 
but nothing like MLB gets. So but to your point, yeah, MLB, they are, they're the group that is going to uh, benefit uh, from Pete Rose, not the Cincinnati Reds. So it's, it's, it's very, it's sad. When I was a kid growing up, Pete was the guy. And to see what's happened to his life is really unfortunate. And if, if that had not happened to Pete, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. He would be, he probably would have continued to manage, might be managing today. But, uh. uh, uh you, you quite possibly could be right, Mark. And, and, you know, what was interesting was some of the comments that Barry Larkin said today on the morning, uh, edition of ESPN's Sports Center. And it started out with, the announcer asking him a very straightforward question. Pete Rose will be the center of attention this week, no doubt this past weekend. It was reported last month that, that he bet on games when he played the game. In April, you said he was a Hall of Famer. Does this new information change your opinion about Rose being a Hall of Famer? Absolutely not. Pete Rose, hey, listen, you know, first of all, I wonder where, where this information came from and had they been sitting on this information and why didn't it come out 25 years ago when he got suspended and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, Pete Rose still has 4,256 hits. And regardless of what he did on or off the, well, what he did off the field is about what he did on the field. And what he did on the field was get more hits in the history of the game of baseball than any other person that's played in the history of the game of baseball. That is a Hall of Famer to me. Now, I'm not moral judge, uh, you know, character judge or anything like that. And, you know, I would challenge you to go into the Hall of Fame and look at all the members and say we have a bunch of saints in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly everyone has done their dirt and will continue to do their dirt. But as far as what he has done on the baseball field, Pete Rose is the all-time hits leader. And he is certainly, you go up to the Hall of Fame, and he is duly noted as the all-time hits leader. So he's a Hall of Famer to me, regardless of what he did on or off, or regardless of what he did off the field, because of what he did on the field. You know, Barry Larkin really speaks the truth there, Mark, and I got to give him a lot of credit. I like Barry Larkin, even though he graduated from the University of Michigan. We won't go into that, but still, Barry says a lot of things, and I think he put the ESPN sportscaster in his place right away with. I don't even know where you guys came up with that. It had to be there back when they came up with all this stuff. Yeah, but that, that's a very good point. But the, the, the larger point that Barry brings out, which is I've said this from day one, it's not that you don't care what he did if he, in fact, bet on baseball. Let's assume he did. What does that have to do with what he did on the field? Let me answer that for you. It has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. It's just as Barry said, the the fact of the matter is he has more hits than anybody else in baseball. And how can you have a Hall of Fame when you don't have the guy of all the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of players who have played in the big leagues, but you can't you don't have the guy who had the most hits because he may have gambled on baseball. Or even if he did gamble on baseball. Would would they take Stan Musial out of the Hall of Fame if they suddenly discovered that he had bet on baseball or that he had uh, run over somebody with his car and it was never detected till now or he was a wife beater or no, they wouldn't. And you can go back, as Barry said, so many of the guys who are in, are, are in the Hall of Fame are revered 
these guys were avowed racists. They, some people, Ty Cobb was accused and never convicted of killing somebody. Uh, they were tax cheats. Uh, Tris Speaker and Ty Cobb were accused of throwing baseball games. Uh, you know, so it, it makes no sense, and, and it's the inconsistency of it. And it could be so easily fixed if they take out the morals clause in the uh, MLB Hall of Fame evaluation, that, that criteria, and make it just what they did on the field. Or also, what do you do about the guys who were supposedly on steroids? It's the same thing you and I have been talking about for years. Those guys oh. impacted the statistics more than Pete did. Mark, when are we going to start looking at the, at the credentials of the people who vote on players that go into the Hall of Fame? Yeah. When are we going to start holding them to the same type of scrutiny that they hold these players to? Oh, it's just, it's so hypocritical and inconsistent. It makes no sense. There, there's no argument. You know what? If, if Johnny Bench doesn't like the fact that Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame, you know, Johnny, get over yourself. Uh, it's not about anything other than what they do in the field. And, and that's that should be the end of that argument. Well, let me clear something up. Has Bench come out? You know, a couple of years ago when I did the interview with Johnny, I asked him point blank that question, and he said he thought Pete deserved to be in the Hall. Has he come back in the last couple of years and said that he, he doesn't now again? Well, at one time he was completely against it. Right. And then he kind of, you know, smoothed out his, his position on it and said, well, He's paid his dues and whatever. So I don't know what the new information, what impact that had on Johnny's uh, opinion of Pete. But there was never any love loss between those two guys. And I think <clears throat> Johnny would probably use any excuse to say keep Pete out. Well, I heard Rob Dibble on the radio uh, probably about a week, maybe two weeks ago, morning radio. And he said point blank. He loved playing for Pete Rose, loved Pete Rose the person. Learned right away early in his career that you have got to take people a certain way. You can't when you're playing with them. You've just got to understand that they are their own person and that they are a player on the field and off the field. You've just got to decide if you want to be a friend or a foe against them and just get around with them. But he said he loved Pete, thought Pete deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, and then they moved down to to John Franco, and he said the same thing. I think when you look at the players that played with Pete or played under Pete, they would say the same thing. He deserves to be in. Well, I think anybody, unless they just have, you know, some burr in their saddle uh, over Pete, uh, w would agree. It's, it's the most logical thing. It makes no sense. And it's, unfortunately, when you start down this slippery slope of, of not allowing certain guys in because of a morals issue or whatever you define morality. Uh, <laughs> I mean, baseball players are known for their affection for groupies. Uh, some are married, uh, heaven forbid. Uh, is that is adultery now a disqualifier to be a Major League Baseball player in the Hall of Fame? Well, let's hope not, because a lot of writers would be disqualified. Well, if if, if that's the case, you probably ought to take out about ninety five percent of the baseball players in the Hall of Fame. You know, it, it's it's so it's so idiotic that it's hardly worth discussing anymore. But I hope Manfred takes a new uh, approach to this and 
don't change the rule for Pete necessarily. Just change the rule that, you know, baseball players will be judged on what they do on the field. Now, can there be a, a, a notice or information about what they did wrong off the field? Of course. All you have to do is put, put Pete in the Hall of Fame for what he did in the field. Next to his plaque, you say Pete was accused and convicted and uh, was banned from baseball for betting on baseball. It's history. Nothing wrong Absolutely. with that. But he's still the greatest uh, amasser of hits in baseball history. So, you know, at some point you just have to say baseball grow up. But, uh, you know, I don't think they will. <clears throat> Mark, just one other thing on this subject, then I want to move into the trade rumors that are going on with the Reds. You and I can dispute all we want about whether or not steroids helped enhance the the numbers that these guys put on their ledger. But when you look at Pete Rose, there is absolutely nothing that you can say, because they'll come right out and say he never bet against the Reds. Never. Even his staunchest opponents will say that. You cannot doubt the records that Pete Rose holds, period. Absolutely. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, Pete probably took greenies like they all did back in the day. Uh, but that, that's an amphetamine. Is that now supposed to be illegal, too? It just confirms my point that the inconsistency is ridiculous and uh uh, maybe Manfred will fix it. Well, obviously there's nothing going to happen with the Indians. I mean, they're, they're, that's a foregone conclusion. I'll get into Shapiro's comments to Marlo Ridenauer here in just a little bit. But the Reds, there's a lot of discussions going on. And the big thing that we learned over the weekend that I talked with you about this morning when we, we you know, normally we don't talk the day before the show, but I, I wanted to get in touch with you and, and tell you a little bit about what I heard yesterday uh, through a few sources was that Jay Bruce is on the trading block for the Reds, but Johnny Cueto supposedly, and I don't think I believe this, nobody has talked to the Reds about Johnny Cueto. What are you hearing? Exactly the same thing, and uh, I don't think anybody has to pick up the phone and call Walt Jockety. I mean, you know, if you're the first one to make the call, you put yourself at a, a negotiating disadvantage. So from that perspective, I don't think that the Reds would instruct their their general manager to go out there and say, hey, see what you can get for Johnny Cueto. Because that puts, say he calls the Dodgers, that puts the Dodgers in the catbird seat with that call. What, what should happen is that as we get near and nearer the, the trade deadline, some of these teams make the decision, you know what, like Houston, we can win a World Series if we pick up Johnny Cueto. That's the call you want to have come into you if you are the Reds. And Walt Jockety is smart enough, he's been around long enough to know how that, I mean, I've negotiated some pretty big deals in my life, and that's the call you want coming to you. It's not the call you make. So by that perspective, time is on the red side. And they've got, what, two and a half, three weeks before the end of the, the, the month. And I think the Reds deal, the, the deals that would be available to the Reds, they get a lot better the closer to the deadline. Now, the only thing that could, could screw that strategy up 
is if, number one, Quino pitches poorly and it's perceived he has an injured arm. Or uh, he, he breaks a leg. <laughs> or he just is ineffective, even if he's healthy. So all those things are what you're rolling the dice on, and that can happen. That has happened before. In, you know, waiting, a guy being too cute and waiting around, and, and, and Johnny Quigo goes out and breaks an ankle. Well, yesterday he threw a temper tantrum after being pulled out of the game after five innings, and, you know, that could have easily ended up in a broken hand or whatever when he started hitting the, the, water, the water buckets. Well, sure, and, and you know, they, that, that was uncalled for and pretty stupid. I, I think what they, what they did, they did two things. They didn't, he was getting hit. They didn't want his numbers to look terrible on his last outing. Uh, and secondly, they probably wanted to save him for the All-Star game because he said he wanted to pitch in the All-Star game. And if he if he if he had gone eight or nine innings, he he wouldn't have. But uh, tomorrow night would be his throw day anyway, and so maybe they want to give him an inning tomorrow night. Well, okay. Now, the two most logical places in my mind that Cueto ends up are with the Dodgers or the Yankees. Which is more likely to happen? Houston. You really think Houston? Yeah, I, I think Houston. And I think they have some some talent. Uh, I saw the, the stories about New York, and I saw the stories about the Dodgers. And obviously, they, they are. Uh, I, I think with the Dodgers, uh, they're not going to give up Seager, that shortstop. And I forget the other kid's name, the outfielder. Uh, I don't think they'll give up. Um, if the Reds have to settle for like some something further down the food chain in terms of talent. Yeah, the Dodgers make sense, but Houston's got some real blue-chip kids. And the Reds, I think, could do better with Houston. Uh, and Houston, don't forget, Dave, Houston, what, they lose 110 games a couple of years ago, three years ago? I mean, they were awful, just awful. And now, within a very short period of time, they have a chance to win the World Series. And what do they, what do they lack? A starting pitcher like Cueto. Now, if you're Houston, you have a chance to win the World Series. Would you take that chance? Well, it's funny you bring up Houston as far as Cueto is concerned, because I'm hearing Houston as a possible depth, destination for Joey Votto. Now, I've not heard that. Um, it, I didn't hear that directly as it relates to Houston. I did hear it that Joey Votto has been approached by the Reds. Would, you know, would he accept a trade? Now, I don't know what his answer was. But I guess they did that with most of their players at this point in time. But, uh, you know, I like Joey Votto. I, I think there's some issues there that are uh, delicate, to say the least, uh, about his uh, stability sometimes, his, his hard, how tough is he, all those things. And I have no insight into that. But you hear it from people inside and outside the organization. Is he the leader we, not, we need? Is he tough enough? Uh, and... You know, I, when, when those questions are asked, it leaves questions. <laughs> Why are they asking that? I don't know. I don't play with Joey Votto. Never did. I don't know him. Never met him. I, I like him as a player. But if the Reds were able to get rid of Cueto, get that contract off the books for the next nine years, that would be the best move they could make. Well, it just seems to fit that Votto would go to Houston because, A, they need a first baseman. Yeah, Singleton's playing first base right now, but he's more apt to be a left fielder. 
They need to get Rasmus out of left field and put Singleton in left. You could put Votto at first base if you're Houston and put him in the number two spot in the batting order, which he seems to love, that number two spot, right behind Altuve and right before Correa, who's batting number three. And, boy, you've got maybe one of the most potent top three batting orders in the American League. Well, that that would be a great spot for Votto because – you know, they, because they have the designated hitter and not, it, it doesn't impact him now, but, you know, in, in five years, six years, that would be a place that he could play for a long time. And imagine him in that ballpark, that short right field fence and, and the short left field fence. He, he can go to left field and wear that place out. Uh, I, I don't know where you heard that, but it, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of areas. Okay, now Jay Bruce, also one of the players for the Reds that, supposedly is on the trading block. What are you hearing about Bruce and where he may end up? Well, I heard he is the most likely red to be traded, and I did hear about Jay Bruce going to Houston because he's from that area. And again, Jay Bruce would would just really explode, I think, down in that ballpark. And uh, for the same reasons, that you know, the, the dimensions of that park. And he, Jay Bruce is a legitimate power hitter. Uh, and they're hard to come by right now. But imagine the haul you could get if you traded Joey Votto, you traded Jay Bruce, you traded Chapman, and you traded Cueto and Leak. You, you trade those guys, you would have you would have one of the great organizations in baseball with talent wise overnight. And maybe now, some guys who can help you this year or next year. Don't let me rain on your parade. But remember when the Indians had two back-to-back Cy Young Award winners in C.C. Sabathia and Cliff Lee and traded the both of them in back-to-back years? And remember what they got out of those deals? A bunch of nothing. Now, yes, they've got two players on their team now that won from each deal, Carlos Carrasco and Michael Brantley. But the rest of the players that they got, Mark, were a bunch of nothing. Yes, and remember the deal that brought Brandon Phillips and uh, who was your left fielder or center fielder a few years ago, the left-hand hitter? Brandon Phillips, Grady Sizemore, and Cliff Lee yes. for Bartolo Colon. That's right. That deal worked out pretty good. Uh, yeah, for Bartolo, too. Yeah, it was. I mean, those deals do work. So, you know, it's, you take your chances, obviously, but um, let's say those deals – you get back for those five players, say you, you trade five of those guys, and you get back ten really, really good number one through ten guys in, in given organizations. And let's say that they don't work out. But you've now taken off, what, uh, 25, 35, 60 to $65 million a year in salary? You can really build quickly with that kind of cash, plus those young players. And I don't want to see those players go. I enjoy watching Joey Votto hit. I like Joey Votto as a guy. He's, I, I like him. But $25 million for a guy hitting 275 who's going to hit you 20 home runs this year, doesn't make sense. Not for the Reds. What and, about Brandon Phillips and Mike Leake? Uh, I, I think they're easily replaced. And this this AUNEO uh, shortstop they got, uh, he, I think he can play second base very well. 
And I, I think, in fact, he'd be a better second baseman than he is a, a shortstop. And next year, uh, next year, Soares I'm talking about, next year you're going to have Zach Cozart back. Uh, that's a very good defensive infield. And first base, you know, if you have that kind of money laying around, uh, you're going to be able to pick up a first baseman who can hit 275 and hit 20 home runs. Well, you've got Mesoraco coming back you could put there. You could put you put Mesoraco there, and that's what they may be thinking. If they, if they are, in fact, really talking about Joey Votto going somewhere, you could put Mesoraco there. He's not a good first baseman yet, but he'll have most of the, the spring training and even winter ball to get ready to play there or left field. So there's a, you could move Frazier to first base. It's not tough to, to, to find people for a hell of a lot less money than 20 to $25 million a year, or even Brandon Phillips at second, it's second base. What's he going to get, $13 million next year? That, that's a lot of money. Jay Bruce is getting $13 million next year. That, that's $51 million with three players. Mark, we talk a lot about the guys that we think are gone. Who are the untouchables that the Reds have? Who won't be gone? I don't think Frazier will be gone. And I, I frankly would be surprised if Chapman's gone. Uh, I hope they don't trade him. I, I think they will sense and know he's a huge draw. He's just, I mean, he came in the other night and he threw, I think, nine pitches at 102 miles an hour or above. I, it, Miami didn't have a chance against him. <laughs> but you have to have a good enough team that you get to Chapman. And hopefully next year they'll do that. But I, I think Frazier and Chapman are untouchable. Uh, I think Billy Hamilton is untouchable. Um, I'm not sure who else in that organization, even some of the young, even Stevenson type guys. I don't think anybody else is untouchable. Now, the only trade rumor that I have uncovered as far as the Indians are concerned was something that was rumored about a month ago. And Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports finally came up and said, yeah, they were talking about this. And that was Nick Swisher going to Atlanta for Chris Johnson. And then Swisher's knees started bothering him again, and they shelved the talks. Now, you know more about Chris Johnson than I do. Tell me a little bit about him. Yeah, he's a good hitter. <laughs> and uh, he, he's... He was a guy that uh, I think was under the radar for a long time, but he puts up good numbers. And, uh, you know, if you guys need a bat, he's a guy who can hit. And I, I, you know how I feel about your uh, your guy. Uh, I just never thought that was a good deal for the Indians, and I still don't. I, I never thought he was that good. Swisher just never was cons- – I think he had one or two good years, and he – he parlayed that into a huge contract, which I never thought he was he was worth that much. Well, and a couple of other couple of other notes before I get into this article that Marlo Ridnauer wrote for the Akron Beacon Journal. Mike Avillis was placed on the family emergency medical list on Saturday, Mark. Now his four year old daughter Adriana is at the Cleveland Clinic, and she's still undergoing chemotherapy for leukemia and. That came right out of the blue, and that that's a little shocking. So hopefully she'll be all right. And then the Indians, they brought back old friend Jose Ramirez from AAA to take a Billy spot on the 25-man roster. And Tom Hamilton just about shocked me right out of my chair on Saturday when he made the announcement that the Indians want Ramirez to go back down to the minor leagues and play center field. And it's like I've said time and time again, Mark, why doesn't somebody spend some time teaching this kid how to hit? 
instead of another position? Well, you know, there's a, there's long been a movement of shortstops to center field, and Billy Hamilton being one of them. But I, I wonder if the Reds would ever reconsider Billy Hamilton coming into the infield, or, or is he just too good in the outfield? But if you can play shortstop, and I've, I've heard many people say this, if you can play shortstop in the big leagues, you can play any position on the field, and maybe even pitch. Because you have to have the strongest arm outside of a pitcher or even a catcher to play shortstop. And these guys have cannons in the big leagues. You, you can't believe how hard these guys throw from shortstop. And they have a much longer throw than a pitcher does, and they throw almost as hard as a pitcher from almost twice the distance. And uh, so it's not surprising that they would consider that, but you're right. If you, you, know, you have Billy Hamilton, who's an aberration, uh, he, every time he gets on base, it's like an extra base hit. And not many, not many players have that. So you have your guy hitting 220, it's one thing, but Billy Hamilton hitting 220 is another thing. Because Billy Hamilton's going to pick up 40 or 50 extra base hits just because of his stolen bases. Yeah, quite honestly, I don't need a utility man on the Indians that hits below the Mendoza line, which is 200, which is what Ramirez hits. Um, you know, quite honestly, Mark, I'd rather have Luis Valbuena, who's playing third base for the Houston Astros and has 10 home runs at the All-Star break, and, than Jose Ramirez. If they want a utility man, let's bring Valbuena back. Anyway, Marla Ridenauer, who I think is an excellent reporter for the Akron Beacon Journal, did an interview, and it was a, a three-day piece with Indians President Mark Shapiro. And I'm going to just bring up, three different topics on this, actually one from each day, that just goes to show that Mark Shapiro is so out of touch with what's going on in Major League Baseball today. Not only did he probably lose the baseball commissioner's job because he was up for the job, I'm not even sure why he's in baseball today. Shapiro attributes the Indians' poor attendance, which is ranked next to the last in the majors in 2014, to the fact that few people live and work downtown. Now, Mark, we had 455 consecutive sellouts with a team that won. If there's something going on in Cleveland, for example, gee, let me think, what was going on just about a month ago, Mark? Weren't the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals? They sold out every frickin' game in the playoffs and every game during the regular season. And... It's the same fans, Mark. They don't live downtown either, but they managed to come downtown. What in the world's Mark Shapiro thinking? Well, let's stipulate that Mr. Shapiro may have misspoken, because that obviously what you just said is accurate. If, if, if you build it, and they will come. I mean, if, if you have a good team like the Indians did 15, 20 years ago, they proved that Indian fans will support. A winner, and just like the the Cubs and the the even the Phillies, when the Phillies were awful four or five, you know, ten years ago, uh, nobody showed up. They got good eight years ago. They were good for six years. Everybody, you couldn't get a ticket. Now they're bad again, and people aren't showing up. Wow, I wonder if it's related to winning. I, I yeah, absolutely, and and if. Mr. Shapiro is misspoken. 
then he's misspoken in a lot of things over the last few years, including, including these next two items that I've got to bring up. Here's the second thing. In today's game, guys start to decline in that 29, 30, and 31 age range. You can never forecast it. That's why we hate to sign guys to a second deal. See, that, again, um, why would you give that bit of your internal strategy to other general managers? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't that, by, just by virtue of that statement, put you at a disadvantage in negotiating with a guy that you've got who just t- turned 30, but he's had a, two or three pretty good years? And you're saying to the other general manager, well, you know what, he's had some good years, but we think he's on the decline. What will you give us for him? Yeah. This is, this, is this is where I'm coming from on this. Here's another thing he said. If we have more revenue, a larger payroll, we would be able to afford a greater amount of risk. How would we allocate that risk? I'm not certain because... We're not spending a lot of time on that. It's safe to say we would be less risk-adverse if we had more revenue. Well, number one, they're going to get more revenue from the new uh, Fox TV contract. So he better start thinking about it because they're going to have more money to spend, but so will the other teams. So you've got to increase your payroll if you're going to be competitive because if you don't, Teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees are going to get a huge amount of uh, more money to invest in players. They're going to get it. Uh, teams in your division are going to get it. So, you know, this the things you bring up, Dave, are striking in that they reflect an article I read today uh, by Steve Mancuso from Red Leg Nation. Now, I don't know if there's something similar to that in Cleveland, but 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 Steve, who I've spoken to, uh, I, I, yeah, we've had him on the show. That's right. Uh, he, he's he's a, a very savvy baseball guy. I, I think he approaches it intellectually. Uh, he's a smart guy. And he wrote an article today. I'm going to refer all of you to uh, go to uh, Red Leg Nation and look up Steve Mancuso's article posted on 7-13-2015. And he, he makes a point, which I think you just indirectly talked about, that he he uses the Indians, the Cubs, I'm sorry, he uses the Pirates, uh, the Cardinals, and the Cubs as clearly the the most uh, sophisticated teams in baseball, in in his opinion, and it's why they are sophisticated, because they have brought in young leadership, guys who embrace statistics that basically baseball is numbers. And if you ignore those numbers, you're ignoring reality. And it it is really one of the best articles I've seen, not only about how the Reds can improve, but generally how teams can improve. And he has an interesting quote. I'll just read one quote. He says, Ernie Harwell, the late legendary radio voice of the Detroit Tigers, wrote, quote, Baseball is a spirited race of man against man. Reflex against reflex, a game of inches. Every skill is measured. Every heroic, every failing is seen and cheered or booed, and then becomes a statistic. That was written before 
we got into sabermetrics, at least as much as we have today. And baseball has now become a thousand statistics. And if you don't take advantage of that information, you're going to be left behind. And he points out in this article that the difference between, say, the Reds and the, and the Pirates and the Cardinals and the Cubs today is really small in terms of talent. But he, he calls them inches, it, you know, an inch here, an inch there. But eventually, over time, the inches add up. And then you get separation, long-term separation that takes decades sometimes to overcome. So I strongly suggest you take a look at that article because it really talks about, Dave, everything you just said. I don't think a, a smart young GM says. And, and here's the last thing. And, you know, you mentioned that. First of all, what, th what went through my head, Mark, when you were talking about that was the speech that Al Pacino gives in the movie Any Given Sunday as the football coach. And secondly, you know, when you're, you're quoting Ernie Harwell, I can almost hear him saying that. I can still remember Ernie's voice and him saying that. But here's the last comment that Shapiro made that I wanted to bring forth tonight. He said, the Indians will never be able to acquire an established starting pitcher in free agency. And he hedged on whether improved attendance would allow them to keep their own free agents when they reach their late 20s. Now, if your own club president is saying that, Mark, why bother buying a ticket? Well, of course. It, I mean, it's that is almost an IQ test, you know, that, that interview. Why would anybody in that position be stupid enough to say those things? I mean, even the Reds organization, I, I can't imagine Castellini or... or Anybody making that kind of statement, it just it lays out your strategy in your hand in front of your your competitors. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, and that's why <laughs> that's why I continue to say the Indians are going to go nowhere as long as Antonetti and Shapiro, especially Shapiro, is leading this organization. Now that that's what I wanted to bring up about that. Now that being said, the only pieces I think that the Indians have to trade away are probably David Murphy because he's in the last year of a two-year agreement. I could see somebody like maybe the Angels picking him up or maybe Baltimore. Baltimore may want a left-handed stick. Toronto may even want somebody. The Yankees could probably use him. So, I mean, there's a lot of teams out there that I think could use a David Murphy. But realistically, Mark, I think he's the only guy that the Indians have that they could use as trade bait. And by the way, just another quick thing. Todd Frazier just beat Josh Donaldson in the home run derby, so Frazier is in the finals. Oh, that's great. I like that guy, and I hope he takes home the trophy tonight. Now, the other thing I wanted to bring up was the Futures game yesterday, Mark. I didn't get the chance to watch it. The USA beat the world 10-1. to The Reds minor leaguer, Amir Garrett, was the winning pitcher. One inning pitched. He gave up three hits, struck out one, gave up a run. But three Reds, or two other Reds, were in the ball game. Yorman Rodriguez, who was just up for a cup of coffee with the Reds about a week ago, he went 0 for 4 in the game. Kyle Waldrop was 1 for 4, and the Indians, Brad Zimmer, that 23-year-old single-A player that the Indians have put all their promise into, was 0 for, 0 for 2 in the game. Well, again, I, I've harped on this for the last year, which I, I'm, that's why I'm so in favor of these trades. The Reds have an empty shelf. Triple A. There's just nobody there. Uh, Jorman Rodriguez 
is a guy that's going to hit you 230, 240. Uh, he's, he's just not that, that guy you want. And the Reds spend all their money, it, it appears, in signing guys like uh, Brennan Bosch and uh, Kevin Gregg, Manny Parra, Marlon Bird, guys. It, it just they're not going to. Jason Marquis, you really think honestly, Walt? Do you really think Marquis was your answer? <laughs> honestly, you really think Gavin Floyd was the answer for the Indians? Yeah, I mean, how, how can everybody in baseball know this? And uh, Badenhop, you know, he's got a six ERA worth the All Star break. He's the you sign him to a contract like that, which apparently was about twice as much as he was willing to take. Who who is making these decisions and recommendations? <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, they must be on the greenies. You and I could look at these guys. Uh, like Kevin Gregg. Kevin Gregg has been lit up for five years. Did he take get good pills all of a sudden that, you know, he's going to... Brennan Bosch. Brennan Bosch had two weeks where he was pretty good in spring training, and the Reds put him on the 40-man roster. He hits 115. <laughs> you could have picked anybody off that roster of minor leaguers yesterday. They'll hit more than 115, I promise. I, I agree with you. Mark, I've got a question that I want to ask you about the All-Star game coming up here, but I I want to bring this up because this came into my email earlier last week, and I didn't get a chance to talk about it last Friday or last Monday night, but I want to bring it up tonight. Last year, of course, everybody remembers Joe Nuxhall, the the memorable former announcer of the Reds who passed away a few years ago, and we talked about his Joe Nuxhall Miracle League a year ago, Mark, with his son, they are entering into a battle with other local charities, and they need everyone's help. It's called Bleed for a Cause, and they're in a competition hosted by the Hawksworth Blood Center, where local charities recruit blood donors during the month of July for a chance to win up to $10,000. This is going to be going on throughout the entire month of July at the Any Hawksworth Blood Center. So you can go to Any Hawksworth Blood Center. Mark, I've never heard of these, but evidently they're prevalent down in the Cincinnati area, right? Yes. Okay. So you can go to any Hawksworth Blood Center. The donors schedule appointments to give blood, and if you mention the Joe Nuxall Miracle League as their designated charity on their donation form before donating the blood, remember, you've got to do this before donating the blood, then Hawksworth Blood Center will tally up the points registered to each charity during the month of July, and the winning charity receives up to $10,000 for their organization. Now, here's the way the point system goes. I don't know if you care about this, but I'm going to give it to you just in case. Whole blood gives one point. A red cell donation gives two points, along with a plasma donation gives two points, and a platelet donation gives three points. And a first-time donor, someone who has never donated blood before or is new to Hawksworth, gets a bonus of two points. And the charity with the most points each individual week wins bonus prizes. So go to any Hawksworth Blood Center, give your blood. It's going for a really good cause, and the charity, especially Joe, the Joe Nuxall Miracle League, they can win up to $10,000. So please be sure to get out there and do that. Got to get blood lately, Mark? No, but Dave, I, I hate to throw cold water on, on this kind of event because I know it's for a good, char a good 
good cause, absolutely good cause. You need to have blood. But if you've got $10,000 to spend, why don't you go downtown into Cincinnati and walk the streets and hand people $100 bills to give blood or $50 bills to give blood? I bet there's a lot of people down there that could use 50 bucks and you would you would probably get a lot more blood. Again, I, I'm all for whatever program works to raise blood, but you go down there with $10,000 in cash, you'll have people following you around, cutting their own arms open to give the blood. You know, I, I'm, this may be a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is that legal? Why not? I don't know. I, I'm just asking. I'm throwing it out there. Is it legal? I mean, it, to, to give somebody money for blood. Let's assume it is. From just oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, assume it is for a moment, because I don't know why it would not be legal. In fact, I think there are places around the country that pay for blood. Because uh, I remember guys in college when I was when I was in college, they go give blood for twenty five bucks and they go get blitzed. You know, they go buy twenty five dollars of the. Well, they they they'd give a lot more for money too. Sure. So <laughs> if you just went downtown and gave this to you know maybe the homeless or the needy or whatever to give blood, I I don't know. Uh, the cause is is well founded. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying no. from a businessman's perspective. That ten thousand dollars might go a lot longer and go a lot further and raise more blood for people if you were a little more business oriented to that. Well, anyway, if you get a chance and you've got to give blood anyway, go to one of the Hawksworth blood centers and just mention the Joe Nuxall Miracle League and help them out. Okay, Mark, my question. You know, you and I got into this discussion a couple weeks ago, and it raised a, a question in my head, especially with the fact that Cueto pitched yesterday, and, and there was a big discussion between Robin Ventura and Ned Yost as to whether or not Chris Sale was going to pitch in the All-Star game or not. Mark, if this All-Star game is for home field advantage in the World Series, and we're supposed to have the best players out there representing each league while still representing each team, and this game is supposed to be important, why should we care if a pitcher pitched on Sunday or not, if he's the best pitcher in the league, and that guy could mean the home field advantage in the World Series? Because he may not be effective. You know, let's say a guy pitched seven innings yesterday, and he has to, on a day rest, you mean there's nobody better than him to come back on Tuesday? It never used to matter. These guys used to pitch on Sunday and start on Tuesday. Well, I, I've got a better idea for this All-Star game. Okay. And it reminds me what they did. Remember the old college pro all-star game they had in college football? Yes. Where the, the All-Americans of the previous year would come in and play, you know. the Play the Super Bowl champ. Exactly. That, to me, was the most exciting game. What about if you had one all-star team from both leagues and you picked the best 30 guys to, to be on an all-star team and they played the triple-A the all-stars? Now, they're going to lose more times than not, but it would at least give these guys exposure from AAA, and it, it would it'd be something fun to watch. Right right now, the way this thing is set up, you have so, so much politics involved, including the fact that every team has to be represented. That, that, that's insane. If you have a crummy team with crummy players, they have to pick somebody from that crummy team. That means a deserving player from a good team doesn't get on. Yeah, why should anybody from the Phillies be on the team? Exactly. Exactly. So 
so there, there's there's so much wrong with this thing. Uh, I, I wish again the new commissioner he can't do everything at once. But uh, one thing I would certainly uh, the three things I would I would fix. I, I would fix the Pete Rose issue. I would fix the All Star game, and I'd fix the designated hitter. Those are three things that would improve the game overnight. Mark, with the home run derby going on right now, and like we said, Todd Frazier is in the final. He's going to be taking on either Albert Pujols or I've got to see who the other guy is. Albert Pujols is in the semifinal against someone else. I can't see who it is as of yet. But it gave me the idea, give me four guys that you would like to see in an all-time home run derby. All-time. Who would be the four guys that you would want to see in a home run derby? Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, uh, Mickey Mantle, and I'm torn between Willie Mays and Willie McCovey. Or, wow. or Hank Aaron. I mean, those guys kind of all blend together. But you ask an all-time all-star, I, I, of those six I just gave you, uh, I'd probably go with Mays, Ruth, Bonds, uh, and Aaron. Boy, I picked Mays, Aaron, Ruth, and Mickey Mandel. <laughs> Great month. You know, I, you know who I think would win. I think Mandel would win. I do too. Really? I, I I think Mickey Mandel would win that thing. Yeah, I, I saw Mickey Mandel play live maybe I don't know ten times in my life, including the 1961 World Series, and I saw him in batting practice down at Old Crosley Field, and. He was so monstrously strong. People don't realize what an unbelievable athlete this guy was. And just incredible. And what he could have done with two good knees is, is frightening. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't get the opportunity to see him play that I remember until very, very late in his career when he was way, way past his prime. But, uh, you know, all the stories, my dad got a chance to see him play. And to my dad, he was one of the greatest physical specimens and one of the greatest players of all time. Mark, real quick, I've got another story I want to get into, but real quick, who do you think will win the All-Star Game MVP tomorrow night? Dave, I don't care. <laughs> I don't either. I just thought I'd throw that out on the table. I have no idea, and I couldn't care less. It's an, all, it's an exhibition game, and, uh, you know, you, you can pick any of those guys out of the hat. But, you know, what happens usually is somebody you can never project. It's a guy who gets... A sacrifice fly in the eighth inning, it drives in the winning run, and, you know, that's all he did. So I'm going to take Clayton Kershaw just for the heck of it. Just just throw, you know, just say it's him. Finally, out of the state of Ohio, Akron University, Mark, out of the MAC, dropped baseball on Friday. They've got an interim athletic director who is an accountant, has absolutely no, none, athletic experience whatsoever. He's their interim athletic director, and he recommended that they drop baseball because they've got a $60 million financial problem that they have to clear up over the next three years. And in those efforts, they're dropping baseball. It's been officially cut. Boy, that is a slam at the sport of baseball. Well, it's also going to have an impact on the on the rest of the MAC in terms of scheduling. Right. That's, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guess what happens this weekend, Mark? I have no idea, Dave. The Indians and the Reds play. Like I said, Dave, 
my my interest has taken on a more esoteric position where I'm going to enjoy baseball for its artistic form and not for the results because if I worry about the results, if I continue to look at the Reds and know they're going to lose, I get very depressed. Well, the Indians and the Reds will be playing this weekend at Great American Ballpark on Friday and Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. And to me, it's it's an opportunity to watch two of my favorite teams play at the same time. Well, I'll bet you $10 million that the Reds sweep. Okay. How about that steak dinner that we we bet the first year and we still have never settled up on? Well, yeah, I'm still waiting for you to buy me dinner. (laughs) Mark, it's going to be a a good week, the All-Star game, although I'm not crazy about it, but I'll probably watch some of it. But nonetheless, this is the slowest week of the year as far as baseball is concerned. No, Dave, it's more than that. Uh, This is the only time of the year that no major sport is being played in the United States. It's the calm before the storm. There's no Major League Baseball regular season. There's no football. There's no basketball. There's no soccer. No sport is being played. Only four days of the year that that, that occurs. It's the calm before the storm because football starts next week. That's right. Yep. So, hey, we'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Hey, on Thursday night, got a very special Ultimate Sports Talk show for you. Jesse Howells from Cleveland, Ohio, participated in the World Series of Poker. And that was on this past week in Las Vegas. He's going to be my guest on Thursday night's Ultimate Sports Talk show. He finished 198th out of over 6,600 people at the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas over the past week. So Jesse Howells will be my special guest on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show this Thursday night hey, at Mike? 7 o'clock. Right. And Dave, Mark and I will be... Yes. Dave, just to add to that, I did not know you were going to say that. Uh, today, uh, or I'm sorry, Saturday night, I went to my high school reunion, and unbeknownst to me, Mike Sexton, the guy who who, who MCs that uh, event, was a classmate of mine in high school, and I met with him, and he's invited me out to Las Vegas. <laughs> really? That's right. I, I did not know <laughs> he was going to be there, and I did not know you were going to say that just now. So, yeah. Small world. Yeah. yeah my great. It, yeah. I know Jesse. Jesse's a friend of mine, and I knew he was out there, and, and uh, he won a boatload of money. For 198 out of over 6,600 people, boy, he won a boatload of money. That's cool. Good for him. Yep. All right. Mark, we'll talk to you next week. Good night. And again, that comes up on Thursday night on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Mark and I will be back again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer here this evening. But, of course, most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. Until Thursday night at 7, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody. The Wiz Kids have won it. Bobby Thompson has done it. And you'll be read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially with.